Join me in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read aloud some of our text here, and then I want to pray over the word as we receive it today. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was very, was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia. In Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, anytime I've stood in your pulpit, you've never left me without a word to speak and a zeal in my heart to speak it with. Holy Spirit, I thank you uh, that you are with us today to lead us and guide us into all truth, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I thank you that you're able to translate to each heart the encouragement that we need today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to begin. First of all, Acts chapter two. It's big time stuff, right? Yeah, I was talking to Andrew before church. Uh, when you come on a passage like this, it has different weight in a lot of our minds than other chapters in scripture and some people are like yeah true let's go let's be ready and then some are like i don't know what's about to happen i don't know what's here what we're going to do here and there's just so much around it and i was in study and i was just in prayer saying lord lead me into what you would have uh, me to share here today um and he took me a little bit of a different direction in my heart and i wanted to start with a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, author who wrote Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Some of y'all are familiar. But one thing he said in one of the letters that he wrote was that we all long for Eden and we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, at its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with the sense of exile. So to paraphrase there, he said, we all long for Eden, but our whole nature, even at our best, we're still soaked with this sense of exile. And, and we can feel that in, in life. Our, our whole lives, one of the things that unites us, no matter who we are, 
no matter where we're from, no matter what we've lived through, is our longing for that Eden that he's mentioning, that he's talking about. We have inside us a very deep desire. I didn't call it an ache. A lot of people call it an ache for um, being at home, if I can use that terminology. An ache to be at home, not just the house you live in or the house you grew up in, but that feeling, that sense, that state of being home. And when I say that, I mean lasting comfort, lasting peace, acceptance, joy, and rest. We long for that. It's in each one of our hearts. You cannot get away from it. You can't hide from it. It is there. Now, I know when you use words like home, that can mean different things to different people. Because depending on how you grew up, who you grew up with, where it was, that word can mean different things. Some had a great home in memory. And for others, they think of it and go, no, that wasn't a place where I was celebrated or loved. That wasn't a place where I was safe or at rest. That was a place where I was uh, belittled or ignored or violated or hurt. And so I would just point out that when we, even in that experience, even in that um, spoken experience, what we're what we should recognize is that we understand that that wasn't good and it wasn't right. That even in the middle of that, we understood it's not supposed to be like this. Right. And even for those of you who say my home life was amazing, you could still point to and go, it was great, but it just wasn't the ultimate it. I still have this longing and this desire on the inside of me. And there is no ache in our heart without it finding its way into action, right? There is no need that we have that we aren't trying or seeking fulfillment. Just like a hungry man is going to look for something to eat. There's no ache without action. And when we do this on our own, what we normally end up doing when we're looking for home is we look back to somewhere that we were or we look forward to somewhere that we expect and hope and desire to be, don't we? It's either one or the other. Here may be good, but we can all recognize that here is not it. It's not the ultimate. It's not home. And when we feel that, we, we, we look back and think, well, if I could just go back to when I was in high school, I felt like I had a handle on things, right? So you see people regress and go backwards and try to get back around the people that they were with then, try to recreate something that's in their memory to try to renew relationships to try to find that fulfillment. Or we're looking forward and we're saying, well, if I can just get that next promotion at work, if I can just get out of school, if I can just get my kids out of diapers, if I can just get my kids out of school, if I can just get some of if I can just get to where I'm retired, or if I can just get past this illness, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just, and we keep moving it and moving it and moving it to say, if I just, if I ever get there, then I'll be home. Then I'll have that, that lasting comfort, that acceptance, that joy that my heart is longing for. Then I'll have it. And we see 
the problem in both of those because when we're trying to do it on our own, each one's going to result in idolatry. We're asking something that isn't able to provide us home to provide us home. Because the truth of it is our home, that lasting comfort, acceptance, peace and joy is only going to be found in God Almighty. That's the only place we can have it. That's the only place we can experience it because he made us to be with him. He is our creator. He knit us together. He knows us inside and out. Who better to know how to fulfill us and to bring us home? And Tolkien points out that we catch glimpses of home and we do, don't we? In life, we catch these glimpses of real beauty, real love, real joy, home. We catch those glimpses of it, and it's really, really good. But it reminds us that our life, even at its best, like he mentioned, even at our best, even at our most gentlest, even at our, the greatest we can do, we're still soaked. I love that he uses that word. Soaked with a sense of exile. And exile means to know home and not be in it. To know where, that there is a home, that it's there, but to be absent or distant from it. And, and home and exile are, are huge themes for us in Scripture. Huge themes for us in Scripture. And I started here. You may think, why are we starting here? We're in Acts 2. Why are we starting here? Because in, in an effort to get down into the details of some of the text, which is good and they're all good and we should get down in the details of it and we're going to. In an effort to get down in the details, I think that we can forget that no portion of Scripture stands on its own. None of it that happens happens in a vacuum, independent from everything else. It's all a part of the overall Story. So we're going to see many things happening here in Acts 2. But one thing you may not have realized or noticed is that you'll see home breaking in to exile. You'll see home breaking into exile. So we find ourselves here. Remember where we are in, in Acts. Jesus, who was crucified, dead and buried, has been resurrected Right. Presented himself to his followers. It says with many convincing proofs. And he went about with them for 40 days, t telling them more about the kingdom of God. And then he commanded them to wait in Jerusalem, to wait for the promise of the father that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would be clothed with power from on high so that they could be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And we also see there his ascension, which we'll talk about on uh, Wednesday night. I think that's where we... In verse 14 of chapter 1, they're continually united in prayer, anticipating what he said would come. And then in verse 1, it says they're all together in one place. In verse 2, suddenly... A sound like that of a violent or mighty rushing wind came from heaven, 
filled the house. Tongues like flames of fire separated on each one, rested upon them. They were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I love the, the, the wording that's used here. As Luke writes this, he's left obviously without proper natural words to describe what is happening. Because you get it was a sound like it was a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues like flames of fire. He was like, it was kind of like this, but it just, it, it was kind of like that, but it was just. And then they were filled with the spirit, which is interesting language to use because it was the same thing as if you were to fill a room with people or to fill a glass with water or, or soak a, a sponge in liquid. It reminds me of what Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter three of the book of John when he said, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe when I tell you heavenly things? That there are things outside of our reality and our understanding that he is able to operate in. And we see that there that he is overwhelmed with the events of what happened. And he's like, it was like this. It was like this. It was outside of anything that they had experienced before And in this, you see connections back to the book of Genesis, both Eden and uh, the plains of Shinar. You, you see connections to the book of Exodus, the burning bush, Mount Sinai, the Lord's presence filling the tabernacle in the wilderness. You see connections in first Kings when the spirit filled Solomon's temple. Very significant things and so much more in the story of Scripture as a whole connected to what's going on in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room in Jerusalem. Again, nothing happens on its own in Scripture. In the midst of this fulfillment of the promise, right, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the church, Again, like, like a sponge soaking up liquid. They were, they were soaked in the Spirit. All of a sudden, they're enabled by the Spirit they've been filled with to speak in tongues or languages. Yours may say languages that are not their own. That they didn't know before. They're enabled to speak in languages that are not their own. And while we see likenesses of some of these things in the Old Testament, this is without question something new and different. And remember what Jesus said to them just earlier in Acts in chapter one. He said, you will be baptized with the spirit in just a few days. Remember, they asked him, they said, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? Are you setting up your throne? Are we about to do this? What were they expecting? Previously, they had asked him, can we call down fire on these people that are being ugly to us? Can we call down judgment on them? They're like, is the time now when you're going to just roast our enemies and deliver victory? And his answer to them was, it's not given to you to know times that are set up by the Father and his authority, but power will come on you so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So instead of fire falling down and destroying their enemies, he brought fire down into his people. 
He still poured it out, but he poured it out differently than what they would have imagined. The power that they were expecting was delivered in a very, very different way. And then we get to verse five and there's all these people that are in Jerusalem because Pentecost was a feast. It was something that they celebrated. They would come from all over to observe it in Jerusalem, in the holy city, at the temple. And I won't read it again, but, but you see them, they, they're amazed because when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and they hear each one heard them speaking in his own language. So they're from out of town. They speak a different language. They come in and these guys, women, are pouring out of the upper room and they're speaking loudly, obviously, joyfully. We'll see in a minute. And boldly in all of these different languages and it's being heard each one by their language of origin. What? We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own language. They're like, aren't all of these Galileans? They're not from where I'm from. Why are they talking like I'm like I can hear them speaking in my own language? Again, it, and this is really cool because it's like an auto duolingo. It happened really fast. But in, in all seriousness, when we look at what happened, what happened, where it happened and when it happened, it, it's just Amazing, because it happened 40 plus days after the resurrection, right? Jesus has been there. He's been going about preaching about the kingdom, demonstrating his authority over everything. He was crucified, but he was resurrected. He was ascended. And now you have all these people during the Feast of Pentecost, all these Jews from out of town coming in to worship God. And you've got 120-ish people filled with joy, speaking in diverse tongues, languages, apparently in loud voices because they were being heard about how awesome the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, about the wonderful works that he has accomplished. And he is awesome, right? Look how he's able to weave all of these things together in time and in space to accomplish his purpose. I don't know that even a, a wonderful writer like Tolkien could have dreamed up this storyline. It's so contrary to what we would have thought. And yet it's perfect. It's perfect because look what it caused. Look what it caused. In verse 12, they were all astounded. Who? All the people who were around. The ones that are there for the feast, for the celebration, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now, unfortunately, you rarely have a verse 12 without a verse 13. Verse 13, but some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. Some sneered even while others stood in awe and drew close. So many were amazed and yet some still were ready to seek a rationalist explanation to discredit what was going on. Again, obviously they're pouring out of there. They're probably pretty excited. They don't know what's going on. And so they were labeled that uh, these uh, don't pay any attention to them. They're just, you know, it's a feast. They're ha they, they're, they've been way too deep in the vats of wine uh, too early. Right. These Galilee boys, they, they're just 
drunk. It's another example we see over and over in the gospel when the miraculous is happening right in front of someone and they're missing it. They're missing the point of it. They're missing the purpose of it. They're missing out on the power of it. And what was the difference? Some were there looking for God, looking for home, seeking to worship Him and worship Him rightly, and others were just there. So in that moment, so a crowd has been drawn, their attention has, has been gotten, and then Peter stands up. It says, Peter, in verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. Now, y'all remember Peter, right? Y'all remember Peter and the other disciples? What did they do when Jesus was arrested? They ran and hid. Peter hid trying to follow along and see what was happening. He's the one that told Jesus I won't ever deny you. I'll go to death with you, Lord. That's why I'm, I'm not giving up on this. And Jesus told him what? Before tomorrow, man, you're going to deny me three times. And he was like, no, no. And of course, we saw him do it. Around the fire, he denied Christ three times. Christ turns and looks at him and he's filled with such grief and remorse. He runs away weeping. That same Peter who didn't have a lick of boldness in him directed the right way. Now, along with the others who ran too, stands up in front of all of these people and says, let me tell you what is going on. Let me explain to you what is happening. He said, these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Where it says, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He stands up. And declares, no, no, no. What's happening here is what was prophesied in Joel's in the Old Testament. You can go and look at it. Home is breaking in. The spirit is dwelling with us and not just a special crew of us, but all who would come. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. He was speaking about the restoration of Israel from the state it was in to where God would take it to. He could have also quoted Ezekiel chapter 37. For you Bible nerds, that's the one with the valley of dry bones. We know that one pretty well, right? But at the end of chapter 37, in verse 27 and 28, the Lord says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And when my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. 
So you see the promise coming from Joel, that the promise of home, that the spirit of God will be poured out. They knew they needed the presence of God. They knew they needed God's presence in their life. And he's saying, I will pour it out, not only on a select few, not only on one prophet to lead you, but I'm going to pour it out on all people, on all flesh. Why? Because we all want to get home. We all ache for it. We long for Eden, for the presence, and we can't get there. So he came to us. He came for us, all who would believe in the Son. And Peter goes on to preach, and we'll I think we'll get to that here in just a second. But this same Spirit who Paul, has come, who Paul said would be the down payment or the guarantee that we shall receive what God has promised his people until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. What's he saying? We have the beginnings of it now. And what we have now is a taste of home, but also the promise that he's going to get us all the way there. He's going to take us all the way home. That's what that down, when you hear down payment, first fruits, guarantee, that's what he's talking about. That he sent the spirit so that you could experience home and then he's going to lead you all the way there. A taste of home, a good taste, but a taste. And not only that, but the promise that the same one who sent the, the spirit is going to bring you all the way home. Because that's where we want to get. We want to be home with God. And home is breaking into exile in Acts chapter 2. The prophecy in Joel is being fulfilled. The Spirit is bringing that kingdom experience into the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. It's knowledge and it's experience. And listen, it is nothing compared to what we'll experience when we actually finally get home. But man, it's enough to overwhelm us completely in our heart and our mind with joy and satisfaction in him. I want to cover a few things. I know if I don't give you some points, you feel like you didn't get a sermon. So some of the things that we see the spirit doing. And some of the things that we see the Spirit doing in our life, this taste of home, this promise of home, the first thing he does is he calls us. He calls us with that gnawing, with that feeling of I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's not like it's supposed to be. And then he calls us with the promise of home is available. Home is available. We have a desire for perfection on the inside of us, and we do not have the ability to produce it. Have you noticed that? You want things to be perfect. You want them to be right. You want them to be well, and you don't have the ability to bring it about. You don't. It doesn't negate the desire, but you don't have the ability to bring it about, and thus the longing. The longing to see it made like you know in your heart that it should be made. He calls us and then he cures us. 
Again, he said in Joel, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. We were, there's an old song, we were fashioned for the Lord's presence. We were fashioned for the Lord's presence, but again, our problem, we're not fit for it. Fashioned for it, created to be with him, but because of our sin and disobedience, we are not fit for his presence. We weren't fit for it, not fit for what we were made to do, what we were made to experience, but by the power of the blood of Jesus that was graciously and miraculously shed for me, I experienced the miracle of cleansing of my sins, and it makes me once again a fit habitation for the Spirit of God to dwell. And he brings that about. He applies that great salvation to our life. And then he comforts us. Man, it's, it's Jesus said the comforter is going to come. That longing for home, that lasting comfort that we're missing, he brings that on the inside of us. That we can know home. We can know the Father. Again, not yet like we will, but more than we ever could have imagined. And then we cannot forget the purpose that Jesus said, why the Spirit is coming. It's coming for a purpose. Why? So that you'll receive power to be my witnesses. The Spirit compels us. Or I guess you could say impels us, but then they wouldn't all start with C's. So he compels us with power and boldness and fire to carry this message of home to every hungry heart that would hear it. Every hungry heart that would hear it. That would be drawn in and have the gospel pierce their hearts. And you know, we all long for Eden, and what we're seeing in Acts 2 is the beginning of the, one of the weird words that I've found is re-Edenization of the world. He's bringing it back to right relationship with him. Tolkien's friend, Clive Lewis, some of y'all heard of him. He said, there's a, I'll paraphrase it. He, he said, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only conclusion I can come to is that I was not made for this world. When I have that ache and that longing for home and I can't in all my searching and in all my trying find something that will satisfy it in this world, the only conclusion I can come to is I was made for another world. And I love it when people are able to take our experience and put it into language that we can that can register. Because that's what has happened. We long for home for the kingdom of God, which Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom to experience the reality where God rules and reigns and everything is right and just and holy and glorifying Him. Amen? Jesus made it available and the Spirit of God that was poured out in Acts chapter 2 makes it tangible. Makes it where I can experience home. And that's what Peter stood up to preach. 
such an amazing sermon. Again, especially from Peter. We know Peter. We've seen Peter. And look at him here. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you all know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. He says he was delivered up as a sacrifice. He was delivered up because of the plans and the foreknowledge of God Almighty. He said, y'all were involved, but understand God, what you meant for evil. I've heard that line before, right? He's telling them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And you did kill him, but he was raised up because death couldn't hold him because he was incorruptible. And then he shows how the psalmist David testified of this. He said, for David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. He told him, he said, I can confidently speak to you. Verse 29, brothers and sisters, about the patriarch David. He's like, I know y'all like David. Let's talk about him. This is what he said. He said, but David is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He's like, you can go visit it. It's right over here. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Sworn an oath, we call that covenant. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He said, I saw Jesus go, and then I've seen what he's poured out. He has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, David said, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus even told him that. He's like, who's David calling Lord? Wouldn't be his son, right? He wouldn't call his son Solomon, one of those guys. His son, Lord. Who's he calling? Lord. I'm going to let y'all, and he basically said, I'm going to let y'all talk amongst yourselves. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he just, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Both Lord and Messiah. It's like he was raised, he ascended, he received the Holy Spirit to pour out upon the earth. The promised Holy Spirit that he poured out, he said, and you can see it and you can hear it. And this message, empowered by the Spirit, 
pierced their hearts. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And he replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Because we're not fit otherwise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he went on talking. He testified and strongly urged them, saying, I feel like he had to have some strong urging in there for the ones that were sneering, maybe, right? Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. The Spirit poured out upon them, filling them, boldness and fire, drawing a crowd and then delivering a sermon that would bring 3,000 people to faith. They said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ. He said, your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive this same taste of home that we are in joy. This seal of salvation that Paul would call it later. And he said, who is this for? Again, going back to Joel, he said, it's for everybody who would call on the name of the Lord. He's like, it's for y'all. It's for your kids. It's for the ones who are afar off. It's for all those that the Lord, our God, will call. And he admonished them and he encouraged them be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved. Or, hey, home is available. What we were promised is available. What we've all been looking for is available. Let's head towards home and carry the message on the way to every hungry heart that would hear it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you always do what you promised to do. When you cut covenant with Abraham, when you cut covenant with David, you always do what you promise to do. It's not to us to know the times that you have set in your authority, but I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to seal our salvation in Christ and to give us power to be your witnesses in this earth. To call out to those who are longing for Eden, who are aching for home and declare to them that comfort has come. Comfort has come and his name is Jesus Christ that he shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven so that we could once again enter in and experience your presence in this life. Oh, Lord, it's not in its fullness. We wouldn't be able to handle it, Father, but what you have given to us is enough to overwhelm our intellect and ravish our hearts for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen.
And I thank you that we'll see that our exile is coming to an end. That our exile in this world from you is coming to an end. And Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy and for your love that we can experience. Lord, that we answered the call to be saved from this corrupt generation, to be baptized into Christ Jesus, not just into the water, but into Christ Jesus, unified with him, united with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And in that we experience forgiveness of sins and we're also raised to walk in new life, just like Christ was raised. And Father, that our message becomes home is alive and it is available. And that you'll draw those close with pierced hearts to receive the same thing. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made clear all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And we begin to experience your kingdom in our life, that it begins now and it lasts forever. Thank you that we get to be at home with you. Father, as we leave today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity together with one another. Protect your people. God, keep us safe. And I thank you that as we go into this week, that we do so with things like this in mind. And that we would pray along with the Savior, your kingdom come come your will be done on earth in my life in my areas of influence as it is in heaven we thank you in jesus name amen